Israel said to Joseph, now I am ready to die since I have seen for myself that you are still alive. Wow, that's powerful. I mean, that's actually hitting me. And this is like, you know, I first really studied this, I don't know, probably 10 years ago, 10 or 12 uh, years ago. And uh, it still really resonates, this idea. I mean, what what was Jacob's uh, refrain, right? What was live and not die? Live and not die. It doesn't matter the cost. If I have to write off this son, if I, you know, whatever I have to do, I'm I'm going to achieve this end. Uh huh. And now, what does he say? Now I am ready to die. Wow, what a now shift. I can accept death. Yeah, uh, because I've seen that you are still alive. Yeah. So your resurrection has given me um, hope, right? And enabled me to accept. Death. Exactly. Yeah. Welcome everyone to the Faith Recovery Podcast. I'm Kent. And I'm Nathan. And we are attempting to recover faith by recovering the faith. Yeah. We're doing a series to help recover uh, the faith as understood in the Old Testament. We're calling it According to Scripture. And it's this is Lesson 9, entitled, Come to Life. Yes. Resurrection faith is the difference between living and and not dying. Uh-huh. And we're going to see that as our Clever. theme for today. <clears throat> Let's begin with some key words. Go key words. There key we go. words. Existential dread. Mm. That's the generalized fear and anxiety brought on by the human ability to ideate the future through the point of our, of our own death. Ideating the future, <clears throat> generalized fear and anxiety. What is generalizing? Yeah, generalizing is uh, the interpretation of new situations by associating with previous experience. Not dying is another (laughs) key word for today. Nobody knows what that means. (laughs) It's an approach to existence that equates living with survival. The operational instinct is fear. Mm -hmm. Living. So you thought you knew what these words meant, but we're redefining them. (laughs) An approach to existence that transcends the survival instinct. The operational instinct is hope. The next key word is spiritual death. Spiritual death is the ironic result of the not dying way of life. It's alienation from God, others, and our own true self resulting from accommodating anxiety and fear. Yep, and regeneration, transition from not dying to living. Okay, now we're going to do some highlights for you. Israel's belief, that's Jacob. Yes. Israel as in Jacob, because remember, uh, you may want to go back and listen to it last week. Yes. Last few few weeks, because we covered Jacob and Mm -hmm. then Joseph. Israel's belief that Joseph had died violently shifted Israel's outlook toward death with the ironic expectation of death and a preoccupation with avoiding it. Yep. Next one. The survival mindset resulted in Jacob and his family acting just like the ungodly people around them. Their fear-based outlook twisted the way they relate to related to each other and their circumstances. Scripture makes a distinction between not dying and living. Through the mouth of Joseph, who asks if his father is still living, despite having been told multiple times that he was alive. And I noticed that. We'll talk more about that. Yeah. Just after revealing himself to his brothers, Joseph equips and sends them to proclaim the good news to his father Israel. Though initially hesitant, Israel does eventually believe the good news, and his spirit is revived. Lastly, Joseph's resurrection reverses Israel's outlook on death and consequently on life. Yeah, buddy. All right. So I guess we should last bring, time, bring everybody up. To- yeah. Last time we discussed how Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery and then covered up their crime by leading their father Jacob to believe he had been killed by a wild animal. We talked about the spiritual and psychological effects their sin had on them as they maintained their lie for 22 years. We showed how by remaining hidden and harsh, that was the title for last, last week, Joseph engineered a series of events which enabled the brothers to find real repentance and healing over their betrayal of him. Today, we're going to consider those same events, but this time from Jacob's perspective. 
We'll look at the spiritual damage he suffered through his belief that Joseph had died, and we'll consider how the essence of the gospel message brought him redemption as well. Okay, so this is an interesting angle. It is, yeah. It's kind of like one of those shows where, you know, you see a series of events from one person's perspective, and then we go and we watch it from another person's perspective, and the whole, you know, the whole thing is just a shift in perspective, and so that's that's what we get. That's what we get. All right, so here we are. We're reading Genesis 37. Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. This is the brothers. Mm -hmm. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Yeah. So it's a pretty dark outlook. Understandable, dark. uh, uh, He's just lost his son, but he's declaring that he's going to mourn for the rest of his life. Yeah. Yeah. So he seems to have this uh, mission statement, you know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's important to have a personal mission statement. So here's... Here's Jacob, you know, 100 and what, uh, let's see, 22, so 115 years old now, has decided to come up with a personal mission statement and says, um, you know, I'm going to mourn until I go to the grave. So you have his his uh, purpose statement is to mourn, and his vision statement is to die. Um, and and, and we, do, mind, see, and we do see that borne out. I mean, we're not... We could, someone could say, well, you guys are just being picky and uh, nitpicky and harsh because mm-hmm. he's just saying the kind of things you say when you lose a child. But actually, you sort of see that mission statement being borne out as the story unfolds. Sure. Uh, and how he um, approaches his relationship with Joseph's brother, Benjamin. So <clears throat> Joseph was important to Jacob slash Israel. He was born to him in his old age. He was born of his favorite wife um but then he had another kid by rachel and um this one um unfortunately rachel dies dies in childbirth with him and she names him ben um oni or something like that and which means son of my trouble um but jacob changes his name to mean son of my right hand so um so he's very special to um, Israel slash Jacob, and we see how really Joseph's passing affects the way Jacob now makes decisions and um, his outlook and really his family dynamic mm-hmm. really be- becomes affected by that. So you want to read Genesis 42? Then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin. Joseph's brother with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. Yeah. So there's the fear. What does that say about La- what he, uh, how he feels about the other, <laughs> the other 10? Right. right. They can go, <clears throat> right. but I must not lose Benjamin. Yeah. When they came to their father, Jacob in the land of Canaan. Now this is some, some time has passed. Yeah. I've and they have gone and mind. met with Joseph mm-hmm. and Joseph has sent them back with grain, but he said, don't come back here unless you bring your youngest brother. Right. When they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. They said, The man who is lord over the land spoke harshly to us and treated us as though we were spying on the land. But we said to him, We are honest men. We are not spies. We were twelve brothers, sons of one father. One is no more, and the youngest is now with our father in Canaan. Then the man who is lord over the land said to us, This is how I will know whether you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me and take food for your starving households and go. But bring your youngest brother to me, so I will know that you are not spies but honest men. Then I will give your brother back to you, and you can trade in the land. But Jacob said, My son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. Yeah. <clears throat> so really death. He's, he's uh, <clears throat> avoiding death yeah, for Benjamin, but also for himself. So mm-hmm. there's this kind of cascade effect. And this is can, the not dying right. way to live. <clears throat> right. But it, it's so counterproductive 
because in retaining Benjamin, and remember, he's not just protecting his family. He's got a son that's in Egypt. Who knows what's happening to Simeon? Right, <laughs> you know? right. So he's got he's got motive to to risk Benjamin and to send him in, in hopes of regaining Simeon. But he is so afraid of, of losing this final favorite son that he's not going to, to do that. And it has a lot to do with his own personal feelings. There's really very little compassion. There's not like what must he be suffering there? I mean, I'm sure it plays in, but he's not allowing that to be the decider. Mm-hmm. And so he's more concerned with his own um, experience of bereavement and his further encounter with this thing that has uh, waylaid him, <clears throat> you know, out of nowhere. Everything was rosy and great, and Joseph's in the prime of life, and, you know, he's vigorous and trustworthy, and he sends him on an errand, and what happens? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you see this, you can see this in people. I've, I've watched people, every time they heard about a tragedy befalling someone, that became a new thing that they wouldn't allow their kids to do. Mm-hmm. And so their kids got in this smaller and smaller world, and they themselves began to live in a very, very small world, you know, just to the point that, you know, someone almost becomes the point where they're just not going to leave their house because something bad could happen. Mm-hmm. And this is someone who professes to be a Christian, a very serious Christian, um, and yet fear begins to paint them into this corner because of this avoidance of death, this kind of inability to be somewhat reckless. And I, I think it we see that <clears throat> in the homeschool movement. You know, a lot of a lot of people who homeschool their kids, they did it because they're godly people and they want good things. But a lot of it was fear that mm. these teachers are going to prey upon your children or this society. And, and what parents, I think, unwittingly um, taught their kids, even though they had Bible lessons every day and, all, and they're teaching them, you know, young earth creationism and everything else during their lessons was that the world is uh, too much for you. And that you need to be protected from it. And what happened then was that a lot of those young people left and they became so anxious. You know, they, they would fall in on themselves because of this meta message that the parents didn't mean to communicate. But that was what they heard through their actions. Um, and You're fragile. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or that maybe this message, a lot of them lost their faith, but this message can't stand up to what's out there. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and all of this, this risk aversion, it really does pour out of this not dying approach to life. That there's, there are negative things out there that can only be controlled by us. And we have to be very careful and judicious. And we have to stay within particular confines and things like that. And you can see that happening in Jacob. Now, previously, he hadn't uh, hadn't been that way. Right, right. He was reckless. He was an adventurer. He'd run <laughs> off and done things and tried yeah. things and risked and had right. had, re- had been rewarded for it. Right, yeah. But some just unexpected tragedy has now really caused him to fall in on himself. And uh, and it's changed the way he's behaved. And, uh, and so he, as a result, his family has done without and that's what we see in this next little section from chapter 43. Now, the famine was still severe in the land. So when they had eaten all the grain they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go back and buy us a little more food. But Judah said to him, The man warned us solemnly, You will not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother along with us, we will go down and buy food for you. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. Because the man said to us, you will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. As it is, if we had not delayed, we could have gone and returned twice. Yeah. So, you know, this uh, avoidance of a dire outcome or something, it kind of becomes self-defeating. Now they're starving. Right, yeah. It's getting getting desperate. Right, and that's really what happens is the not dying approach to life always puts us in a dilemma. Uh And now we have to make these really hard choices. Um, And a lot of times that becomes a very um, dangerous thing as people, if people have power, um, they begin to think in terms of, you know, what if this happens and what if that happens? And and now um, they can justify maybe aggressive and violent actions to prevent 
I think about the um, war over in Iraq, you know, and what we're, we're sold this bill of goods that they have weapons of mass, mass destruction, you know, so let's go kill them all. <laughs> you know, it's like, what? Um, but it, it is this fear that is that gets sold to people and they're ready to go and attack a smaller nation that has really made no provocations toward us. Sounds a lot like what Russia says about Ukraine, you know, that we're going over there. And I guess I'm swinging political a little bit, but, it, you know, in retrospect, I think most sides can say, hey, that was that was a mistake. That wasn't a good thing. But it, it's justified under the auspices of what if they come and do something to us? So we, we end up in this dilemma, like, well, we don't really want to go and spend these resources. We don't want our young men to go and risk their lives. Um, but what if? And, and that is enough to cause us to do a thing. So in this case, Jacob has has been derelict in his concern for his household uh, because of a fear of a negative outcome mm -hmm. and has brought about another negative outcome because of that fear. Mm -hmm. Existential dread. Yeah. Um, and we, we also see like lots of studies are showing that fear and anxiety produce um, physiological uh, uh, harm mm -hmm. in, our, in our bodies. Yeah. Okay, Genesis 42. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued. I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Did I already just read all this? <laughs> no, we actually went backward a little bit. So <clears throat> we realized that Jacob, and I guess what we're trying to establish, so we're not really following the story uh, chronologically. We're following it thematically. Right. And the, the first theme was that uh, Joseph's death reverberated in Jacob's psyche. Mm -hmm. And and so we can see that in how he treats Benjamin and how he um, treats the brothers, but he and and how he is avoiding his own early demise. In this case it's too late to die young, you know, but um, just trying to not bring his gray head down to the grave in sorrow. So his his mentality, everything about him, if you can imagine here's somebody who's who's really pointed toward um, the grave. So if you think of it as, say, a cave or whatever they were buried in, and, and that's just where he's, where his mind is focused. And, and even on the idea of avoiding it, he, he can't help but think about it. Mm -hmm. And that's the non, not dying mindset. So that was what we were establishing in the previous verses and sections. Now what we're going to look at is there is this, that the mentality of live and not die. And that's the phrase that we're going to hear again and again mm. is he and and notice notice this kind of family dynamic as <clears throat> they're going to um, this is early on right the, and the famine has begun to hit them and and Jacob you know what, what are you going to do if you're a farmer and you got no rain and stuff it's really no work to do so um, you look around and you see your boys just not doing anything and you're starving right right yeah causes some frustration why are you just standing there looking at each other yeah. there's grain in egypt go buy some so that we may live and not die yeah. that's genesis 42 then we fast forward and this is judah pleading with his father to send benjamin on the second trip after all the events of last times yeah message. send the boy along with me and we will go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I did not bring him back to, to you and set him here before you, I will bear the blame before all my life. That's yeah. Genesis 43. Notice that along with this, this phrase, live and not die, and, and this is the language that they're communicating in. Mm -hmm. This is the shared understanding of life that we all go off of. You know, I, I, I know you're going to come to work tomorrow because you want to live and not die. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I know you're people got to pay their bills, so they're going to show up to work. Right. I know you're I, I can drive, uh, you know, 1200 miles on the interstate in relative peace, because I know that you're not going to cross the center line. Why? Because you want to live and not die. Right. <laughs> yeah. So we all understand this. We're all speaking this language. We can all convince one another to do a thing predicated on this ultimate reality. Now, there may be a couple of steps like you want to earn a living. Mm -hmm. Right. But but why are you earning a living so you won't die? Right. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so we can assume this. This is how um, Jacob 
backs or supports his case for them to go to Egypt, that we might live and not die. This is how Judah is motivating Jacob to send Benjamin, that we might live and not die. But notice that in that world, what we expect of other people and what we presume about ourselves is out of whack, you know, that we begin to blame other people for the suffering that they had nothing to do with. Because if they, if they were smarter, if they had more foresight, if they worked harder, if they took more risks, they took fewer risks, if they made different decisions, you know, they would, they would be able to um, prevent negative outcomes. Mm-hmm. These people around me that I'm counting on, if they weren't so incompetent, then, then things would be better. Mm-hmm. At the same time, we begin to presume things about ourselves like we could possibly prevent someone else from dying and like judah where says, judah says i myself will guarantee his safety guaranteed yeah right and so that's insane i mean did was there some question as to whether the brothers would try to take care of benjamin maybe there should have been but in, you know uh, it seems that the concern is that going there i mean judah wasn't able to stop simeon from being incarcerated mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um that's Nonsense! It's foolishness, but pressed up against this specter of death, uh, what what else can you do? You know, you, you have to. And if you're trying to assure somebody who is afflicted by this, or you yourself are trafficking in it, then we begin to to have this this arrogation of ourselves. You know, where we begin to think, well, we can avoid it. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we're at Genesis 47. When the money of the people of Egypt and Canaan was gone, all Egypt came to all Egypt came to Joseph and said, "Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? Our money is all gone." Then bring your livestock," said Joseph. "I will sell you food in exchange for your livestock, since your money is gone." So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and he gave them food in exchange for their horses, their sheep and goats, their cattle and donkeys. And he brought them through that year with food in exchange for all their livestock. When that year was over, they came to him the following year and said, We cannot hide from our Lord the fact that since our money is gone and our livestock belongs to you, there is nothing left for our Lord except our bodies and our land. Why should we perish before our, your eyes, we and our land as well? Buy us and our land in exchange for food, and we with our land will be in bondage to Pharaoh. Give us seed so that we may live and not die. Yeah. And that the land may not become desolate. Yeah. So the, this refrain, it, it occurs exactly like this three times in the mouths of three separate people or characters or parties in the story. Now, it seems to me, and you find this throughout the Old Testament, that you, you get a refrain that's repeated like we had seen with Mahanaim. Mm-hmm. How this place is named two camps, but the mention of two camps doesn't stop with just the place name or one event. That's a very flat, two-dimensional storytelling, and the Bible is more sophisticated than that. And so we're, we're meant to take hold of these repeated refrains. This is one. This is a thread running behind this story. This is a story about survival. Mm-hmm in the midst of famine Mm -hmm. and how people behave and what we're willing to do notice what you know jesus says what will a man give in exchange for his life well these people are ready to give up everything they gave up you know this is a bigger deal if you give over your land and your livestock i mean this is your whole heritage this is everything but what what else can you do you want to live and not die Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and so each of these people describes that being alive is not dying right um, and so that's the refrain, uh, but so Joseph not only has to get his brothers past their sinful denial, this tendency to, to justify and to minimize, rationalize, as we saw last time that he did, but through this story, we've got to get Israel past this mindset if he's going to be you know, the holder of this promise, uh, he's going to have to get beyond an Egyptian way of thinking. He's got to, he's got to, um, he's got to have a, the, the conversion of his, of his mind, of his imagination, that there's more to life than not dying. Yeah. And I mean, Egypt is such a, a perfect setting for this because of, you know, their very sophisticated embalming techniques and everything. Uh, they're, 
when when we make extreme efforts to memorialize somebody, what we're really doing, and, and I guess someone can argue with me about this, but it, it comes from this instinct to try to keep them on this side, um, which is foolish, you know, and, and obviously a failed enterprise. Um, and yet, you know, it's like we, we are de- defeated by death to the uttermost. And yet we, we try to, to somehow recoup the loss. You know, uh, I remember in high school there was this guy, and um, I don't know, he was kind of a stocky uh, dude with a squeaky voice, and, and uh, somehow he was able to just goad people and make them mad. And I remember, like, the whole football team jumped on him, and, you know, they were kind of knocking him down and, you know, stuff like that. And, and he they didn't hurt him seriously, but after they kind of trounced him, he, he got up and, and said, hey, don't come back. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and that's kind of, we're, we're trying to find some way to recoup this loss. And, and it, in Egypt, at least for the very wealthy, it became a whole industry, as it is for us, um, that we really want to, to retain, you know, the, if nothing else, just the, the vessel that this person was in. Um, and, and so Joseph or Jacob now is just as the Egyptians, I think are the epitome of live and not die. So Jacob shares this refrain with them and Judah as well. So it's something that we can assume. And yet the specter of death, the way we deal with it, it has everything to do with how we live. Um, if you think this is this life is all there is, um, you know, I, I've heard people make the case, hey, you know, we should cherish every moment because this life is all there is. It's like, well, that's not a given. You know, it's it's like if you were saying, um, let's say you're you're building a very elaborate uh, sandcastle. And this is something that, you know, you're an artisan and this is something that you it, it took a month for you to just design and plan. And now you, you're going to spend the next two or three years producing this thing, right? And um, now you're in the midst of it. You've picked the site. You're building this thing. You've gotten up away from the tides. And uh, this is going to be, this is your magnum opus, right? Um, and, and, but you find out somehow, maybe you have this prophetic dream or something. You find out that in another couple of years a tsunami will come through and it will wipe out what you're doing and not only that but um there will be no pictures of it and nobody everybody who saw it will be killed in the tsunami mm-hmm. now are you going to say wow that makes me cherish that makes me cherish the sandcastle i want to do an even better job on it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is that what it makes you think right. so right. you're saying it doesn't really motivate us that the, that this life is all there is is not truly motivational no, it's nonsense. It's, that's nonsense. That's just somebody lying to themselves, and I can't, I can't do that. I, I mean, I would constantly feel the burr of that lie underneath my skin, you know. Um, and, I, and, and so that's the problem with this mentality that, that knowing that life will completely end, like you're just blown out. And, you know, it, it, people don't really understand the, the concept of annihilation. They think, oh, it's darkness. No, that's a perception. That's something that only living people experience. Yeah, it's non-existence. Right. It's, it's retroactive. Nothing. It's not that it ends. It's, it never existed from your point of view. Mm-hmm. So nothing, no, no matter how wonderful, if you live this glorious life and you're just, you know, parades and you change the world and everything's awesome, it doesn't matter. It didn't happen. You know, and and eventually everybody's going to be gone. It didn't happen. Nothing that's happening now has happened or will happen. It's there is nothing. Nihilism is the only logical philosophy or or mindset for somebody who doesn't believe in in life after death. Nihilism meaning uh, life is meaningless. There's no meaning to life. There's no purpose to it. Right. It's nothing. Nothing matters. And and that's fine if you're going to be an atheist. You should also be a nihilist if you're not. Quit telling Christians that they're self-deluded because you carry around a delusion every day. You know, you're just full of garbage and you mm-hmm. don't know it. And that's what angers me. It's like, look, if, if I'm lying to myself and I can admit that I'm lying to myself, at least there's hope. If I'm lying to myself and I'm laughing at somebody else for lying to themselves, 
mm-hmm. there's no hope. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's the challenge. But what what happens is is if we here's what really happens, and this is the underpinning philosophy for everybody who thinks this life is all there is. And that is when the rubber meets the road, it's not going to be me. It's going to be you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why? I mean, because there's nothing noble about letting this go. This is all there is. Right. You know? Uh, and so it's not like you you can really comfort yourself with the idea that someone's going to remember you fondly or whatever. But that's so hollow. Mm-hmm. You know, only if you can be a fly on the wall at your memorial does it even matter. You know? Um, and so really the... The uh, goal of every person who thinks this life is all there is, is to live and not die. And if that means um, to under, you know, under report my earnings on my taxes mm-hmm. so that my I can sock it away in my retirement or something. Right. Just these micro decisions that we make along the way, because we're up against desperate and dire circumstances and no one would fault somebody for doing something out of self-defense. So, you know, if I have to lie about something, if I, if I'm trying to sell a thing and I'm going to, I'm going to tell you that it's better than it is. Why? Well, because I'm, I'm up against it. Mm -hmm. Right. I need to make the sale. You understand, understand, buyer beware, you know, you and I are in a struggle for life. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. And, and it's not so much that we're going to have to kill one another, but I'm slowly killing you because if I don't, then you'll slowly kill me mm-hmm. and my employer. You know, he's taking my life away every day. That eight hours, he's he's subtracting it and, and he, he's not giving me enough money for it. Right. This is the one life I have and he's taking it, you know. Um, now I'm going to, you know try to try to retain some by just doing less at work i'm going to you know make him suffer i'm going to um look for another job or better employment not that there's anything wrong with that but if it's driven by this kind of fear of missing out or self-preservation instinct then it's probably you know we're not really thinking in terms of the bigger picture we're not really escaping that vicious cycle even if we get that better paying job we haven't really escaped the vicious cycle and your point is that we need to transcend this worldly mentality this this world is all there is this life is all there is mentality right well you're married to somebody right you've tied your fortunes to them you know you're you're living not die mentality if they overspend if they underperform they're taking away your life in pieces I mean, they probably should suffer for that, <laughs> right? You have to stop them. You have to you have to motivate them. You have to cajole them. They they need the proper motivation to come online because it's all on the table and it's all at risk, and it's you or them. Mm-hmm. And maybe we don't we don't articulate that out loud, but I just want us to get the implications of this live and not die mentality. It poisons everything and without the hope of the resurrection it's the only thing we have mm-hmm. right right and you see that you know these are people living in the world yeah. with the only mentality they've got right the egyptians as well as jacob and his brothers and his sons right and so now we're going to see kind of some more of these implications these echoes of the this existential dread this fear of death in how they treat one another the people in these stories as they were emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was his pouch of silver. When they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. Their father Jacob said to them, You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. Then Reuben said to his father, You may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Entrust him to my care, and I will bring him back. All right. So this is just after they get back. They told them that uh, Benjamin has to go. Simeon was left behind. Benjamin has to go. Um, they open up their sacks. Joseph had his servant put this, the money back in their sacks of grain. But now they're afraid to go back because they are afraid they're going to be perceived as thieves. So the deck is stacked against them. Um, but I want us to notice that that jacob's outlook on life is so very broken and so is reuben's so first of all he blames them for something that as far as he knows they had nothing to do with Mm -hmm. 
right? So as far as he knows, Joseph was on his way, you know, and, and got attacked by a wild beast. Mm-hmm. And then um, Simeon was obviously taken by somebody who is like, you know, second in command of the most powerful empire on the mm-hmm. planet at that time. Um, and yet somehow Jacob blames them. Mm-hmm. You have taken my sons from me. And mm-hmm. isn't that what we do, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, with the people nearest us? You've done this. You you should have thought more about it. You should have been more wily or wary. Yeah. Um, if you hadn't been so foolish or careless, if you'd been where you said you would be, if you'd showed up on time, all of this stuff, it, it affects all of it, and it's so poisonous. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Reuben's response, I mean, what do we do? How do we counter right, the fear right. of death? Yeah, and how, how do we counter? And, well, it seems like he's uh, doing what he can to comfort, console, uh, assure his father, control his father mm-hmm. by asserting what he would do, uh, at, but he can't really control outcomes. Right, right. and so, he's offering his own sons to death, uh-huh. right? Yeah. So death becomes almost like this god that is absorbing everything, and the only way to counter one person's fear of death is to offer death. <laughs> you know, there's, right. what, what other counter do we have, mm-hmm. right? And that's what I'm talking about. You know, If you were to ask a... Uh, a Nazi in Germany, you know, somebody's really bought in. Why are you doing this to the Jews? They say, well, it's survival. Right, right. Right. Yeah. You know, they're, they're going to kill us. Here. Take they're our destroying nation. Our, take our, our culture. Country. Yeah. yeah. It's not so much like, well, we're just really mean and terrible. And this is probably going to be something people talk about for the next 75 years is the worst thing in the world. Uh, they're going to be like, look, this is just a necessity. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's it's that's, a solution. It's the final solution. Right. Right. How do you, you know, how do you solve a problem if the problem is death? Well, we can't do anything. We can't actually create life. We can't bring something, you know, back to life. But we can try to mitigate the damage under the fear of death. And that's all we have in, in that mindset. Genesis 43, Israel asked, Why did you bring this trouble on me by telling the man you had another brother? They replied, The man questioned us closely about ourselves and our family. Is your father still living? He asked us. Do you have another brother? We simply answered his questions. How were we to know? He would say, bring your brother down here. Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy along with me and we will go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. Yeah. So uh, I just really like this. I don't know, man. It just really kind of resonates, especially as we're dealing with kids and they... They don't think of a son, of a thing, <laughs> you know. They they haven't been around long enough to think of all the things that they should avoid or they should take into account, and mm-hmm. so they make mistakes. And we're we're like, why didn't you think about this? Mm-hmm. And you're just like, how was I supposed? I've never experienced this mm-hmm. before. How was I supposed to? I'm just going on what I, the best I can do, and we really don't. We can't afford to give people that kind of mercy. Right. In a live and not die mentality. We have to hold their feet to the fire for everything they should have known right. in our minds. You know, and so this is such a it's such a toxic thing in their relationships. This this death, even though these boys had, had covered it up, and these men had covered it up, it's still poisoning the well, poisoning their life, um, and their relationship with their father. Um, so this, remember that the operating system is still live and not die. And so I bring this back up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but we're going to get to something. And they mentioned something that Joseph asks them uh, first, is your father still living? Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. that's kind of where we go uh, next. So, um, so the theme for this next section is he's alive, but is he living? Yes. Yeah. So Joseph has asked them as, uh, let me see where we were here. Um, as we see in Genesis 43, uh, Judah remembers that Joseph had asked them if he was still living. Right. And so now we get the actual um, instance, I guess. Um, so, well, he, Joseph has, first we see Joseph has a different outlook on live and not die. Um, so Genesis 42, 18 through 20. On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. 
But you must bring your youngest brother to me, so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. Yeah. So what are you trying to point out to us there? Yeah. Well, I think that Joseph is still, uh, he's appealing to this mindset in them. Mm-hmm. Live and not die. But there's, there's some words in between. Right. right? Do this and you will live. For I fear God, yeah. that's, that stands out to me. Right. He does say at the end that you may not die. Right. Well, but the only, the only guarantee they really have, because if they bring Benjamin back, they still have no guarantee he's not just going to fall on them and, and decide to kill all of them. Right. It might be that he's like, look, I don't want to leave that younger brother alive to be, you know, to like bring about revenge, marshal an army out of Canaan, cause me harm. So I'm just going to make sure I get all of the brothers before I kill them all. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, they don't know that that's not what he's thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, the only guarantee they have of because Joseph doesn't have a reason to not just execute them and take everything they have. There's nothing stopping him from doing that. He has that kind of power. Um, the only thing that they have to assure them is that he fears God. Now, mm-hmm. we don't know that that's true, but the fact that he brings it up mm-hmm. um, seems to suggest something. Mm-hmm. You know, that there's, and so here are these people from Canaan. They, who knows, uh, people are tribal. We tend to have a negative outlook on people who are unlike us, especially in a place like Egypt that's so full of idolatrous gods and stuff like that. Um, and yet here's somebody who says, no, I, I fear this one, the one God. Mm-hmm. And so that's, to me, that is this mitigating factor. It begins to bring in this this um something from influence. the outside yeah that that offsets and remember we talked in the thing about um abraham sacrificing isaac that that the fear of god is this is this base level response to him mm-hmm. but if god if we fear god then the fear of death gets displaced mm-hmm. and really we can't we can have one or the other you know and i think it's in isaiah 26 or 28 that I, you know, Isaiah talks about Israel, and, and Israel has begun to forsake God, but they've done it uh, by making a deal with death, you know, and they, they feel like they have a covenant with death, that death's not going to come and get them. Um, and that, so there, there's this kind of opposition to the two. And Joseph kind of brings this to mind as he's talking with them and um, trying to convince them to do a thing. When Joseph came home, they presented to him the gifts they had brought into the house, and they bowed down before him to the ground. He asked them how they were, and he and then he said, How is your aged father you told me about? Is he still living? They replied, Your servant, our father, is still alive and well. And they bowed down, prostrating themselves before him. Yeah, so this is after they return with Benjamin, and they've got all their gifts that Jacob sent to try to sweeten the deal. Um and then his one of his first questions is, is your, is your father still living? Now, this right. is the second time I, that he has asked, is your father still alive? Right, right. And, uh, and so then we get this story where Joseph reveals himself. Remember, Judah comes to this turning point, and now Joseph reveals himself. Okay. How can I go back to my father? This is Judah speaking to Joseph. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers, and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. All yeah. right, so this is the third time he's asked the question, right? Yeah, right. And But he, this is actually within the exact same setting, same day, uh-huh. same hour. Uh-huh. Uh, Genesis 43, 26 to 28, is your father still alive and well? Or, uh-huh. you know, is, is he still living, uh-huh. right? Yeah. So and, and remember, he asked it exactly the same way. This is this is a, a clue for us to say, wait, 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 let's attend to this. Remember, Judah quoting Joseph says, he asked if you were still living. Then he comes, they come back, and it, what does he say? The exact same thing. Is he still living? Mm-hmm. Then after uh, all of this, they've gone through this, he asks them the exact same thing, exact same words. Now they just told him, you know, at most three or four hours previous to this. This is this is in the span of them showing up, having lunch, and then 
him revealing himself. So mm-hmm. it's in the same day, maybe the same afternoon. Mm-hmm. Okay, they just said, yes, he's alive and well. Mm-hmm. Why does he turn and say, is he still living? Right? They'd already told him that. I mean, is he just like, no, seriously, guys, I've asked you. This is the third time I've asked you. Really, are you going to tell me the answer to my question? Mm-hmm. You know? And they're just like, they're just dumbfounded. They don't know what to say. But this would, this coupled with this refrain that we might live and not die, that we might, you know, and, and that f- refrain is, is first begun by Jacob. Why are you staring at each other? Go down to Egypt buy grain that we might live and not die. Mm-hmm. So he kind of starts this chorus. We might live and not die. And then Judah picks it up. And then the Egyptians pick it up, mm-hmm. right? Live and not die. Live and not die. Against that, the counter melody to this is, is my father still living? Mm-hmm. Is my father still living? Is my father still living? Right? I would contend that he's not gotten the answer to his question yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and that truth be told, the answer is no. Mm-hmm. Jacob still breathing but he wasn't living right something had changed significantly for him and so um now hurry back to my father and say to him this is what your son joseph says god has made me lord of all egypt come down to me don't delay you shall live in the region of goshen and be near me you your children and your grandchildren your flocks and herds and all you have I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen and bring my father down here quickly. Yeah, so he sends them, right, his 11 witnesses, uh, uh, he's, he's, yeah, and yeah. it seems, and it feels like he's announcing his resurrection. From Jacob's perspective, that's exactly what's happening, mm-hmm. right? I mean, from their perspective, it's like, yikes, you know, it's, it's a scary realization, uh, but they get past it. But, you know, it, the story isn't over with the uh, revelation of Joseph and this turning point for Judah. It Now these guys have been redeemed. These patriarchs have been redeemed, but they are now being sent forth with a message, right? And uh, and so from from Joseph's or from Jacob's standpoint, this does sound a lot like the message that we have to tell about Jesus. And so, so they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told him Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, I'm convinced. My son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So Israel set out with all that was his. And when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, Here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again, and Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. All right. So lots of stuff here. Uh, First thing I want to notice is that um, he is being told the story of Joseph is alive and at the right hand of power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that sound familiar? Right. Um, and he has poured out this, which you see in here. Right? Uh, uh, yeah, he has poured <laughs> out these gifts. Yes. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Man, that's just, that's Acts 2. That's that sermon. You know, he's alive. This one that you betrayed and killed is alive. He's well. Uh, he has ascended at the right hand of power and has received the promise, which he has poured out, which you see in here. The Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. and so there's a, this evangelistic method of you know, hey, we're gonna tell the we're gonna tell the news, we're gonna use his words, and we're going to demonstrate his gifts, right? All of that comes together because notice Jacob is at first he's hesitant to believe it. This isn't like he was suspecting that Joseph was dead. I mean, for him, Joseph was very much dead, right. had been dead for years. Yeah. 
So the idea that he's still alive would just, you know, stretch credulity uh, for him. So it says he initially didn't believe. Right. But notice that something shifts, right? Hearing the message didn't do anything for Jacob. Once he believed, what do we hear? What do we get? Uh, once he believed, I'm trying to find the verse. I know it says yeah. his spirit revived. Yeah, that's Yes, it. Uh, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. Right. So the question previous, was he still living? The answer was no. <laughs> uh, but with this news, you know, Joseph does something about it. He, he sends these guys with the good news. Uh-huh. And this good news, when believed, brings about resurrection life in Jacob. So uh, Joseph, for all in- intents and purposes from Jacob's perspective, is resurrected. By faith in Joseph's resurrection, Jacob himself is resurrected. His spirit revives. He begins yes. to really live. And that begins to have an implication. Remember, Joseph or Jacob had a mission statement. Do you remember what it was? Uh, yeah, it had something to do with death. Um, yeah. I'm going to mourn for him for the rest of my life until until I die. Until I join him in the grave. Right. Right. And so that, that has to do with destination. I'm going to join him in the grave. So he he envisioned Joseph in the grave, and that became his That was his goal. destiny. Yeah. Right. That was where he was I'm headed. I'm going to go to him. Right. Yeah. And now he says, wait, he's alive, and I'm going to join him there. I'm going to join him where he's reigning. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, and so that, that just changes everything for him. That's kind of the essence of this being alive. Mm. But then I want to I get to, and we go on over into chapter 46, because then he goes and he offers sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac, mm-hmm. and God speaks to him. So when I read this, I think, 22 years, God, where were you? If you can talk to Jacob, why didn't you give him a clue before now? You know? Um we don't really see from the time he supposedly learned of Joseph's death until here, we don't see any interaction between Jacob and God either way, mm-hmm. right? Jacob's not depicted as a worshiper anymore. And God, who obviously knew what had really happened to Joseph and was with Joseph in Egypt, gave Jacob no clue. He remained just as hidden as Joseph eventually did to his brothers. He's he's off in the distance. He's disappeared. At, at Jacob's, you know, just as during Jacob's lowest point at, there at uh, Mahanaim, and God doesn't come to put an arm around him, but uh, put him in a headlock, you know. Uh, I, I think here God is, is distant from Jacob during his bereavement, um, but it's not so much that God has moved. I think that what happens when we're in that live and not die mentality that we just can't hear him. Mm-hmm. You know, we've, we've kind of swapped out gods and um, we've, we've quit being worshipers. And so we're not attentive to him. But now that changes for Jacob and now he's alive. So I think being alive is more than just, you know, it has implications for how we are within ourselves what our expectations of life are, wh- how we treat the people around us. We're much more forward thinking, you know, we, we're, we're not controlling. Um, but it also has implications, obviously, for our approach to God and our ability to hear him. Mm-hmm. You know, you can shout at a dead body all day and they're not going to hear you. It doesn't mean that you've just not weren't loud enough. It means that they were completely unable. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is that this death isn't just a psychological phenomenon but it is a a deep reality you know spiritual reality and so this changes everything for jacob and uh but it doesn't end there Um, he has this shift and so we talked about his hope for life is that he's going to see him but now we see in genesis 46 now jacob sent judah ahead of him to joseph to get directions to Goshen. There's forward thinking. Yeah. Get directions. We want to get there. Mm -hmm. When they arrived in the region of Goshen, Joseph had his chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and wept for a long time. Israel said to Joseph, now I am ready to die since I have seen for myself that you are still alive. Wow. That's powerful. I mean, that's actually hitting me. And this is like, you know, I first really studied this, I don't know, probably 10 years ago. 10 or 12 uh, years ago, and uh, it still really resonates, this idea. I mean, what what was Jacob's uh, refrain, right? 
What was live and not die? Live and not die. It doesn't matter the cost. If I have to write off this sun, if I, you know, whatever I have to do, I'm I'm going to achieve this end. Uh huh. And now what does he say? Now I am ready to die. Wow. What a now shift. I can accept death. Yeah. Uh, because I've seen that you are still alive. Yeah. So your resurrection has given me um, hope. Right. And enabled me to accept death. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, not, so, and not avoid death, deny death, resist it. Yeah. So he brings Joseph's sons in. He blesses them. And then we, we see that he worshiped leaning on his staff, you know, and, and as I've gotten older, um, hope gets harder to find. <laughs> we really spend a lot of time hoping just a short way down the road, mm-hmm. right? Hoping five years, hoping 10 years, right? As you get older though, that, that timeline, you know, you think, well, I'm, I'm going to do this and this and this, and, and we begin to hope in this life. But as you get older, that, that time out in front of you is shorter. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it's harder. It's why old people are oftentimes cranky and surly and just don't mess with us. Right. Uh, but, but here's somebody who is full of hope and, and he's basically an invalid, (laughs) you know, imagine if you went to a nursing home and you're walking through these halls in this, in this house of despair, um, you know, people are shouting, get me out of here and help. And, you know, and, and, and yet you hear some unfamiliar sound. You know, and and it's it's just this guy, and he's just propped up on his walker, you know, and he's just, you know, in a broken voice, singing worship and praise to God as loud as he can. Right? Would that strike you as odd? <laughs> in that environment, yeah. yeah, it would stand out. Yeah. So here's somebody, man. He is, he's on the edge. I mean, you know, he. That he's his got worldly life is stand. at its end. Yeah. Right. Right. He and can't he has hope. hold himself up. He can't physically hold himself up. And yet he still worships. Mm-hmm. That's powerful, especially for a guy who took 22 years off from worship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now he's, he's alive. And the author of the letter to the Hebrews makes a point out of this. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Yeah. So he's forward thinking. He's thinking out beyond his own life. He's mm-hmm. delivering blessings for each of Joseph's sons, and he's yeah. worshiping the Lord. Right. Yeah. I mean, he gives instructions. He wants his, his bones to be taken back to Canaan. Uh, why does that matter? I mean, I think he's saying, I want to wake up in the land of promise. You know, he, I, I think he had a real expectation of that. Uh, that may be presumption, but remember, we're, we're getting this story not necessarily as events happened exactly. I, I think that uh, that all of these are, are you know, broad strokes, like, say, a Rembrandt, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's an Impressionist's idea of what happened, mm-hmm. okay? Um, and so I, I think these things happen in broad strokes, but but we're also getting it through the lens of the author. And, and so this person wants us to get something from this. And what they want us to get is that, that there's hope, that, that hope for resurrection is the means to truly live now. Mm. And by truly live now, when we're truly alive now, we're worshipers of God despite circumstances. And, and because of that, we're able to extend grace, mercy, love toward other people. We're able to give them the benefit of the doubt. We're able to give them realistic expectations because we're not in this panic mode that they have to perform or we'll die. We know we're okay. And and so we can treat others well. We can have a positive outlook in ourselves, be worshipful in and of ourselves. So we can be living. You know, you look at Joseph and all he went through in Egypt, and yet he never relinquished his approach to God his attentiveness to God, right? Even through the whole thing, mm-hmm. he he's he has like a line to God, like on demand. Can you tell me what this dream means? Mm-hmm. Right? The thing that Jacob lost upon seeing that bloody robe, Joseph retained. So Joseph, from his perspective, realizes that this isn't something everybody has, mm-hmm. you know, and that he knows his dad had it. Mm-hmm. Did he still have it? 
after this. And this is the question he has. Which is life. This is real life. Right. Yeah. It's faith. Yeah. Resurrection faith. Exactly. Yeah. And Joseph also learned resurrection faith by his experiences. Yeah. I mean, he, he never gave up on his faith, but, but at the same time, his faith was strengthened through how God raised, seeing how God raised him up from the pit, from mm-hmm. the dungeon, from the prison, yeah. to the place of lordship. Yeah, it's this messianic pattern of of being able to submit to this descent in faith that God will lift us up. That the people around us, though they do evil to us, though we suffer injustice and injury, that God has not forsaken us and that we're going to be lifted, you know, in, in micro, I think, here. Just that this is the approach. The one that humbles himself will be exalted, Jesus says in the Gospels. That this is the messianic pattern. It's it's prefigured in our baptism. And that when we're baptized, we're committing to a way of life of surrender, to descent, to go downward uh, in, you know, in becoming a servant to other people. Uh, to dying being, to sin, dying to self. Right. Well, to being faithful even in the face of loss. Like, mm-hmm. you know, hey, are you going to renounce your faith or uh, and keep your job? Are you going to continue to... Talk about Jesus and lose your job. That's a descent, mm-hmm. right? But it's not some sort of altruism. We don't congratulate ourselves for all the things that we've that we've given up for our faith. Um, that that would become the same kind of toxic memorializing that people who don't believe mm-hmm. really do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is in it is just wisdom. It's just the person who says, "Why would I trade this encounter with God for this stupid job?" You know, uh, that they're looking for that resurrection power that comes on the other side of these momentary crucifixions uh, throughout their life. And so we see that in Joseph, this this death and resurrection, death and resurrection cycle again and again in Joseph's life. In Jacob, we see it in, in a broader, you know, a, a wider frequency where there's this massive 22-year descent, but also a resurrection. Mm-hmm. That, that takes place through the proclamation of some good news. Yeah, and it's like um, Joseph imparts to Jacob Joseph's own faith. And we mm-hmm. see that in the New Testament where Jesus imparts to us his faith. Yeah. We are justified by the faith of the Son of God. Wow. Wow, awesome. that's uh, been a good conversation. Thanks, everyone, for being with us. If you got questions, email us. Discussion at faith, recoverfaith.org. Discussion at recoverfaith.org. Thanks, and yeah. we'll see you next time.